Hey, 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 everyone. Fraser Brooks here with the Network Marketing Ninja Podcast, episode number 65. And today, I am super pumped because I am joined with a new friend of mine, new connection of mine, Liam James Collins. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, mate. I appreciate the invite, Fraser. I appreciate the invite, mate. I've wanted to come on this podcast for a while. And you say episode 65. I think that needs to be a new lucky number for me now. 65. <laughs> that stands out. It does, doesn't it, mate? It's like, it, it's, you know, it, it's almost two thirds, but it's not quite. So it's just yeah. like, yeah, go on, let's, let's smash that. So um, I recently come across Liam, um, it was a few months, it was a few months with you, it was probably two years ago, because I come across a business partner of his, and I just kind of like, you know, did, did the research and looked into different people. Whenever the word coaching is involved, my, my ears kind of like prick up and I'm like, ooh, and he's going to share more about his story in a minute. But it was actually, I think, last week, and I'm on Instagram stories, and I've recently followed him, and I'm kind of having a little scroll through. But to be honest with you, mate, I, I spend more of my time scrolling, scrolling the Zoom feed, sorry, the story feed, than I do the kind of like the, you know, the news feed. It's kind of, it's been an interesting shift that I've noticed. And I come across, you, you're, you're in your like incredible penthouse apartment in London. Congrats on that, by the way, bro. That looks flipping awesome. To have an outdoor yeah. space in the London area, we all know. That means something's going right. And I see like you're filling up this like inflatable jacuzzi. And I'm like, yeah, okay, well, I see the craze going on. Everyone's got these jacuzzis for the summer. Makes sense. Lockdown kind of. And I'm just thinking, good effort getting that up there. And that is going to be a setup once it's, once it's all finished. So bit by bit, the portly, you know, story by story, this jacuzzi's filling up. It's filling up nicely. And then, I don't know, maybe a few minutes later... <laughs> Disaster. Disaster. What happened? Do you want to share what happened? It's just a disaster, mate. Just a classic disaster. Just I'm there thinking, yeah, I've got this jacuzzi on my rooftop penthouse in London, loving life, putting it on the stories, showing everyone. And then the, the most ridiculous thing, mate, I didn't even buy a hose. Like I bought this thing. I didn't even buy a bloody hose. So my wife's there like going bucket by bucket, filling this thing up. I've just ordered a hose on Amazon and she's like, yeah, but it's going to take 24 hours to get here. I want to jump in the swimming pool, bucket by bucket. And then we've got this gigantic sort of like plastic tub thing. And Claudia, my wife was like, why don't you just fill that up? Go and fill that up. It will like do half the jacuzzi. I went and filled it up, dragged it through the bathroom, like into the living room, like put it on a, a little bath mat and dragged it through. And mate, the second that I tried lifting it, the whole thing shattered and my living room was a swimming pool. The whole thing was drenched. But you know what, mate? Focus on what you do have control of. Focus on what you don't. And in that moment, what did I have control of? I had control over how much I laughed at that situation. I could have got pissed off. I could have got angry. What's the point, mate? What's the point? So I put it out out there to the world and, and, and you found it funny Fraser anyway. <laughs> I, I was, I was gen, I wasn't like LOL where I'm like, lol. Yeah. I was like genuinely like, <laughs> that's hilarious. And the fact that you were just like, you've got to see this and the whole floor. Anyway, guys, uh, maybe it was one of those things where you have to kind of see it to believe it, but it, it was just super funny. So maybe before we kind of get into, into this um, and, and share your story and stuff, I just want to ask you some, Really simple, quick fire questions. Now, 
The quick fire questions are very quick to, yeah, exactly. The quick fire questions are very quick to ask. Not everyone answers them quickly though. Uh, <laughs> why? Because I'm usually, I'm the guy who goes off on a tangent and I end up talking about completely different stuff, but that's just the vibe we, we kind of go with here. So pizza or pasta? Pizza. What type? Uh, as much meat as you can with as much cheese in that crust as possible. Oh, a cheesy crust. I don't do a thin pizza, you know, mate. I don't do a thin pizza. That thing needs to be puffy as fuck. Deep. deep, yeah, exactly. All right, so beaches or cities? Beaches. Flip-flops or sneakers? Flip-flops. Oh, my God. You know, you know, when you said, look, most people don't answer this quickly, I, I thought to myself, in that moment, I was like, I'm just going to answer instinctively. And, and now, so far, every answer has really surprised me. <laughs> it's like, I never wear flip-flops and I haven't been on the beach for 30, to, like, 30 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> um, books, reading books or listening to books? Reading books. Yeah. How many do you read, how many do you read a year? Uh, I read... I'm a big reader, right? Yeah. I must read at least, at least one book every three weeks, right? Maybe one book a month. So I read a lot. I don't read for often. I read like a little bit a day. So it takes me a while to get through a book, but I try to read as much as I can. Well, I think that's, that's the key though. I think to the people watching and listening, I think that's the key is don't, don't try and force it. Like don't try and like smash a book in a week and be like, oh, I've not done the one. If you do one a month, if you do one every two months, it's, it's better than what you weren't doing and you're improving bit by bit by bit. Um, traveling or lockdown? Traveling. Where's, uh, where's, where's the favorite place you've been to? So last year, I had a good year for travel, mate. I went to 16 countries. Wow. in 11 months last year. Now, bearing in mind, right, I own my own home and a lot of people has been like, don't get a mortgage, don't be tied down, don't this. Mate, I love my home. I love, we, me and my wife last year bought this like penthouse in London. I love it, but we still travel as much as we can. We did, I tell you what, mate, this is a holiday that a lot of people don't think of at our age, right? I did a two week Caribbean cruise and it was the best thing I've ever done. I swear to God, mate. We also did a week in the Maldives for my for my 30th, which was really nice. But that two-week Caribbean cruise, mate, was just magnificent. Going to nine different islands that all have nine different personalities and nine different types of people and types of food and types of music and nine different histories in a two-week period and then spending the rest of the, the time at sea. I was in my element, in my element. Mate, so you mentioned the Maldives, and um, I've been blessed enough to go to the Caribbean. Where did we go? Um, Jamaica, Bahamas, Barbados, St. Thomas, St. Kitts. Oh, yeah. Uh, like the Grand Cayman, like the Grand Cayman Islands? Feels like that sounds about right. Cayman Islands, yeah, yeah. That, that's that, it. that was pretty cool. But you mentioned the Maldives. And I, before we get into story, I've got to share this story, right? I don't think I've ever shared it before. Um, and if it offends some people, then it's not my intention. But it's just never a good way to start, is it? So I go to the Maldives. It's January 2000 and I think it's January 2008. No, January 2007, right? So yeah. 13 years ago, I'm 19. My brother is 17. And it's kind of like my mum and dad are like smashing it in their business. Like we're going to go to the Maldives. And we're like, oh, this is going to be amazing. Like, you know, all this. And it was super boring for us. Because we were like really wanted to do loads of adventurous stuff, but we were on one of the islands where it was just literally, and it, it's it's what you see on a screensaver over a computer, like you've yeah. been here. So it's 
white sands, like clear blue skin. Like it's amazing for a few days. And then it's like, right, what's going on? So anyway, one of the nights we go to a bar and we're like, we, we're just, we're putting everything on the room. We're like beer after beer, me and my brother, like beer one, beer two, beer three, beer four, beer five. And it's like, honestly, it's like a dollar for a beer. And it's just like, this is just not going to end. So anyway, there's a ship. Because in the Maldives, for those of you who haven't been, there's a lot of like big boats that kind of go from island to island. Like, you know, these super, super yachts. They park up and they use the island's facilities that night. So my, me and my brother are there drinking. And then this crew comes on and they just want to have a good time. So they're like, beer, beer, beer. So we then start buying them the drinks. And it's like every round goes from two pounds or $2 to like $10. And then we were like, oh, let's switch to something like vodka Red Bull. Don't even know why. I don't even drink vodka Red Bull. So we're like vodka Red Bull, vodka Red Bull. And we're just buying all these, assuming that it's the same sort of price. Anyway, everything's on the room, right? But dad's like, go for it. Knock on the door the next morning. Me and my brother are like, oh no feels so rough somehow we ended up on their boat I, I don't even know what happened i don't know how we got back it was one of those nights where you just like pfft. dad knocks on and goes <clears throat> just got the bar bill uh i'm not going to say how much the bar bill was but the vodka red bull because it's imported away from the maldives was 20 dollars for a vodka sorry 20 dollars for the red bull and three dollars for the vodka it dad wasn't a big fan of us after that um I still it wasn't it wasn't paradise anymore <laughs> so what? No, mate. i was like get me off we had another week on the island i was like no dad i'm so sorry right um it was it, it, oh, it, mate. i just had to share it mate i just had to share mate, what i tell you what that go go again though now you're older right because i completely get that mentality like when you're younger of course, you're going to be looking around and thinking like, what, what is there to do? Because it's literally like paradise, isn't it? You're on these little tiny desert yeah. islands. And, you know, for a kid, there isn't really much else to do. But now you're a bit older and you can just go there and just chill out, kick your feet up. Mate, it's a paradise, man. It's a yeah. paradise, isn't it? So let, let's kind of switch gears. Um, and I appreciate your time, by the way, mate. And I know you're a busy guy. and We're going to talk about that uh, in a minute. But tell, tell the guys about, about your story. Obviously... I, I like to edify, it's important, but at the same time, I believe that sometimes when you edify, you can miss key, key components of the story. So I think it'd be cool you just literally sharing your story as basic or as in-depth as you want, uh, just so the listeners and the watchers can, can get to know Liam James Collins a little bit more uh, and, and, and how you can help the world. Definitely, mate, definitely. Well, I was an actor for a long time. And uh, I was a successful actor as well. I was very proud of that. You know, when I was 19 years old, I woke up one day and I said to my mum and dad, you know what? I think I want to be an actor. Now, I'm this like 19 year old working class young man. And the people that I spent time with would never, ever even have considered something like that. They wouldn't want to venture away from the group. They all dressed the same. They all looked the same. They all spoke the same. They went to the same places. And if you were sort of slightly different and you did something slightly out there, you were a bit of an outcast. And I was like, I want to be this outcast because I feel like I want to be an actor. So I walked down to like my local amateur theatre one day and I was like, look, I've never done this before, but I really want to be an actor. I think I'd be quite good at it. Mm -hmm. And they said, look, we've got an audition next week. I auditioned for this play. I got the part. And about a week later, I was in rehearsals. And about four months after that, I was standing on stage 
in front of seven people in the audience, right? Seven people in my first play, two of which was my mum and my sister. And I shit you not, mate, I felt like a star. I felt like a superstar when I was on stage taking those bows. And that's where it all started for me. And then, and then I, I ended up doing more theater. I went to drama school. I did some really good television. I started to do really good film roles. And the work was coming in to the point where this was my full-time job. And I was like, I've done it. I've cracked it. And then one day, this was when I was roughly about 20, I got, I got this phone call to go to an audition, right? And I didn't know what the audition was for. And I turned up and there was about 100 guys in this room. And I'm just standing there and I'm just sort of like chatting to some of the other guys. And this woman walks out and she says, right, you're all here for this one thing except for you, Liam, you're here for something different. And I was like, what? So I looked at her and I sort of gave her the nod and was like, yeah, I sort of pretended I knew what she was talking about. And I, I oh, yeah, yep, yeah, thank you, Tara. I'll be in in a minute. <laughs> and, uh, and I sort of went into her office. And what I had to do when I first arrived, I had to fill out my physical dimensions on this sheet. And I was really, really into bodybuilding at the time. I mean, this is like 10 years ago. I've lost about three stones since then because I was really sort of big and bulky and heavy. But from 16 to 20, I was just like this big sort of lumpy mess. And, uh, but because of that, I knew down to the millimeter every single physical dimension. Like honestly, bicep, tricep, thigh, neck, like forearm even. And she basically took me into her office and she was like, look, your physical dimensions are exactly the same as one of our lead actors in this movie we're doing. And he needs a body double. She said, I've got two questions for you. One, are you willing to completely shave your head? And two, are you free for the next six months? And, and then I, I had a holiday booked and she was like, trust me, cancel that holiday. Cause this is going to be the biggest thing you've ever done. And I was like, right. Okay. And I went to another audition and another audition until finally I went to this one audition at Elstree studios and I walked in and I looked around in this one office and there was all these blueprints on the wall that said like Gotham City, the Batcave. And I was like, oh, it's fucking Batman, it's Batman. And I body doubled Tom Hardy as Bane. And I, and I was Bane like every day for six months in like full Bane outfit, Bane mask. And get this, mate, how cool is this? One day Tom was sick and they got me to, uh, they took me into this room and they were like, Tom's supposed to be doing this one thing, but we need you to do it because he's not here today. And I was like, okay, like whatever you need. They took me into this one room and there was about 17 or 18 artists all sitting around in a circle. And I had to stand there in all different like Bane poses in my full costume. And then afterwards I said, what is this about? And they said, every bit of Bane merchandise that will ever be created from this point forward is based on these, these drawings. So mate, every action figure, every lunchbox, Every fucking toothbrush, like anything that's got Bane's image on is based on drawings of me, like standing in, in all these different positions. But one, one of the best experiences of my life, mate, one of the best experiences of my life. I just thought, I, I thought I've cracked it. Man, that is, so, you know, the, the fun thing that comes to, to, to my mind is two things, is that the dedication to bodybuilding got you, got you that. Like, obviously, your dedication got you it, but, like, you dedicating yourself to that one thing got you that chance for that, that big break, right? Can I ask you a personal question about the bodybuilding? Mate, any, you, can, you can ask me whatever you want, Frank, <laughs> anytime. Did you feel healthy whilst you were bodybuilding? 
No, no, I didn't. Like there was a time between like 16, 17, even 18 as well, where I felt very, very healthy. Like I felt really fit. There, there was a point where it sort of like crossed over and it was like uncomfortable to sleep. And the thing is, I never was really even that huge. And the thing is, when you see pictures of Bane, the character, he looks like a giant, like he looks, but the thing is, that's obviously the way that they want him to look. Me and Tom at the time, we were big, but we weren't that big to be fair. Like there's a lot of lighting involved in that. There's a lot of camera sort of, you know, I wouldn't call them tricks, but you know what I mean? It's cinematography, isn't it? Exactly. That sort of different angles, different light and stuff. So I wasn't like massive. It was just that I was really, really into weightlifting for many years and I got very bulky, but I did get to the point where it was just like, uncomfortable yeah i know i mean i can imagine i can imagine that like i mean i've got those muscles that when the flex there's no dimple you know and there's like there's that flex emoji that has a little dimple i don't have it mate i don't, I don't have it, it <laughs> the flex emoji of yeah, the dimple yeah yeah there's no dimple on my mate it's a fake emoji that um the second thing that comes to mind is that like resid residual the power of residual income obviously the listeners the watchers are, are network marketers and Residual income is one of the big pulls for that where, you know, it's uh, you're doing the work once and getting paid time and time again. And when you're, when you're stood there and you are doing your work, being modeled and being, you know, drawn and being taken, you know, the, the, the paintings and the pictures are being, are being sketched out, that happens once. But all this, mer- people are buying mer- being merchandise and being uh, mm. fancy dress costumes and all of that, like today. And the Batman studios or DC or whoever created it, they're the ones who are making a pull on that as well. So uh, it's just, it's amazing. So from that moment, because obviously you and I have chatted before, but from that moment, what happened? So of course, I'm thinking I've cracked it, right? I'm 20 years old and I'm on set. I'm, I'm, I'm literally sitting there having lunch with Morgan Freeman. He's telling me his fucking life story. And I'm thinking you're actually quite boring no no that's that's unfair that's unfair he's a fucking great guy right but everyone's always a little bit surprised when i say that morgan freeman's not that interesting to talk to got a great voice because he just seems like the most interesting man on earth but like he's he's mate i don't know maybe he was having an off day but (laughs) an off day yeah (laughs) but i'm there like literally just having lunch with like morgan freeman michael caine christian bale tom hardy Anne hathaway like it was like the creme de la creme of actors and I'm on set, Christopher Nolan's like giving me direction. I'm, I'm like, I have made it in my head, I've made it. And then when that came to an end, I, I went to drama school. I had really good TV roles. Talking about residual income, I did this one part for the BBC called D-Day. It was like a war drama. And every so often I'll, I'll get the old £6.66 check in, <laughs> check in the post because they've just sold it to Finland or they've just sold it to like one little town in Sweden. But um, yeah, I ended up doing like this really good <laughs> like TV stuff. And, and then one day, mate, it just stopped. It literally just stopped. Me and my wife moved into this lovely apartment in the middle of Borough Market. And I'll tell you a story about that as well, Mick. We got, well, I'll, I'll, I'll revert back to that in a minute. But me living in Borough Market, something significant happened there, which I have to tell you about. But we lived in this uh, little apartment in Borough Market. But then all of a sudden, I haven't got any work. Like if I'm not acting, I'm not eating, I'm not paying my bills. And then all of a sudden I get quite desperate for it. And that's not a good look. The rare auditions that I did go to, I was going like 
like want needing these these this job and it's not a good look mate and i wasn't getting the work so i thought to myself right i need to be able to pay my rent and i do need to be able to go to auditions when they come up what can i do i became a postman right mm -hmm. so there was one area near london called richmond that was hiring i, I knew Richmond really well because it was near the drama school I went to London College of Music I went there I, I, I nearly said audition then I interviewed for the job got the job and then I was a postman I was like okay right I'm a postman I can pay my bills and it will only be for a couple of months go to auditions one month goes by two months goes by six months one year two years and all of a sudden I wake up one day and I'm like I'm, I'm, I'm a postman now like I was an actor I was working side by side with Tom Hardy every day. And I shit you not, mate, I went from working with him to delivering his post. And there was this one time I knocked on his door because I, need, I literally needed a signature for a package. Mm -hmm. Now, bearing in mind, this is years later. I'd lost loads of weight. I wasn't big and bald anymore. In fact, I had hair like halfway down my back and I had a big beard. And he opened the door and he looked at me almost like he thought, I kind of know who this guy is, but maybe is it just because he's the postman? And I couldn't even bring myself to say, do you remember me? And instead I just sort of froze. And then I went, bye. <laughs> I just sort of backed off. And I just, I felt like I was like floating backwards going, bye. <laughs> and, then, and I was like, and that was the point mate. That I thought, I, I felt like I, I was really making something of myself. Then I feel like I really crashed. And I was sitting around a dinner table one day with my mum, and I said, you know what, mum, I've come to the decision. I want two things. I want to work for myself, pick my own hours, decide where I work, how I work, and all that stuff. And I want to genuinely help people. I want to make a difference in people's lives. I didn't quite realize that at the time, her full-time job was that she ran an academy where she taught people how to be coaches. Uh -huh. And growing up, it was just what my mum did. And like no young man really sort of takes much interest in what his mum does. Yeah. And she was like, Liam is staring you right in the face. Become a coach. You'll be a great coach. You can run your own coaching business. You can help people. So I was like, okay. So I dived in, became NLP practitioner, NLP master practitioner. I became a coach. I studied it, mate. I just loved it. I absorbed it. Mindset development, confidence development, breaking down limiting beliefs, breaking down your barriers. I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And then my co I started a coaching business. I quit my job as a postman and that grew and grew and grew and grew. Mm -hmm. And there are two moments in my life, two very significant moments that have proven to me the power of coaching. Mm -hmm. And that is having lived through the London Bridge terror attacks in Borough Market, which was an, a significant moment in my life mm -hmm. and very sadly <clears throat> losing my dad to suicide mm -hmm. October 29th 2018 those two occasions mate in my life have proven to me that what I teach is the real deal mm -hmm. I don't coach people I don't um, now with the coaching masters I qualify and accredit people as coaches and I know I don't just do that because it's a nice thing to sell I do that because these coaching is the number one thing that has allowed me to thrive and survive through those two mm -hmm. parts of my life, those two moments in my life. So it's, it's real, this stuff. I, it's for, I don't, I don't think people really understand the power of fulfillment until they get it and they lose it. 
Like when you when you feel when you feel fulfilled, and then you 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 stop feeling fulfilled. Like it, it's a it's a void that it's very difficult. You can't replace it in, in any in, other, in any other way. I think one of the analogies is smoking. People kind of get that fulfilled feeling. They're like, oh yeah, and then they stop and they're like, oh, where do I get that 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 release from? Where do I get that kind of fulfillment from? And then you know, this is looking at other things to try and to try and fill the void in as well. So, man, I appreciate the vulnerability in sharing that story. It's I can't even imagine. Just because I thrive off growth, right? So I thrive off growth a lot. I can't imagine the knock, 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 pretty much knowing that it's his house, probably not knowing that he's going to answer. But like knock, knock, knock. There's the, like, I, I was sat on a table with him a couple of years ago and now I'm not. Like, it, I, can't, I can't even imagine that. So first of all, congrats on on not letting that consume you and not being one of those, if only, if only, if only, because you could have quite easily been like that. Very so, easily. So you, I, I've seen you've done some big events. It's so awesome to see. I've seen so many posts of, of the students and, and, and the kind of the family that you, you've kind of created with the coaching masters. Um, what do you feel are like the most common things that you've had to help people get through in order to, to reach the success that they've, that they've had? It's interesting because when it comes to coaching clients, right, as a coach, now the thing is I, I very much wear three different hats when it comes to coaching. There's Liam, the coach that coaches other people, the coaches, you know, your, your individuals or your organizations, just the coach. There's Liam, the trainer, where I train, qualify and accredit other people as coaches when they want to do what I do. And then there's the individual Liam who needs his own coaching in order to keep his head on straight in order to thrive and survive through adversity, turning your adversity into an asset, moving forward, driving forward, like surviving the terror attack, like losing my dad. So it's interesting because what I really like about your question is I help people in all three aspects there. When it comes to the individuals that I coach, what I found with my clients is 100% of the time, my clients come to me with this problem and a lack of confidence, right? I've got a really bad relationship with my uh, partner and I lack confidence. I really hate my job and I want a new job and a new career path and I lack confidence. It just seems to be this kind of overarching thing that a lot of people experience and then they reach a certain point when they're sick of it. They don't want to experience it anymore. They want to feel confident and they go to a coach and confidence coaching is not even necessarily what I do, but it's such a, there's such a boom for confidence coaching because it's that one emotion, that one state that people, when they lack it, it can have a devastating effect on their everyday life if there's this sense of unconfidence or a sense of anxiety or worry. So with my coaching, I focus on that a lot, but primarily now, of course, I teach other people how to do what I do. Mm -hmm. So the barriers there are just allowing people to understand they are good enough to be a coach. It's just this classic, I'm not good enough. This classic sense of lack, like I'm not smart enough. I'm not confident enough. I'm not outspoken enough. Oh, I couldn't stand up on stage in front of a thousand people and do this talk. I need to instill within people that every single person on this earth is completely and utterly unique. 
Mm-hmm. That is what makes them a good coach. Everything they've seen, everything they've heard, every place they've been to, every experience they've had, everything people have said to them about them, no two people are the same. And you can take those experiences and combine them with good, solid coaching training. And everyone has the ability to be a really, really unique coach. So that's one of the big barriers. I need to let people understand that. Well, so I appreciate sharing that because in network marketing, um, which obviously is the niche that, that, that I'm in and obviously I help people around the world build and, and people watching and listening to this uh, are involved in almost all, almost all of them. Um, they all struggle with a lack of confidence. I think a lot of it is, a lot of it for them is, I mean, mine was, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. Who's going to want to join me? I'm not ready to be a leader, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then also everyone at some point in order to earn a residual income has to become a coach, right? A coach or a mentor, right? So mentor one-to-one coaches group, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, so if you were, if you were, let's say that I come to you and I'm a network marketer and I'm like, Liam, I want to get to six figure income. Like I want to coach this organization, but like I have a lack of confidence, yeah. What are the are there like any like simple steps or like a framework or something? I know everyone's maybe different. He's like, yeah. For those of you who are on the podcast, he's like, yeah, get in with that question. I've got this nailed. Because <laughs> we, by the way, guys, we don't discuss what we. I literally said to him like, we're just gonna go uh, and we're just gonna see where this goes. <laughs> so like, mate, love that question. Love that question. And you know what? As well, it's interesting. Within the coaching masters, mm-hmm. we've got a lot of network marketers. Yes. Yeah. They have discovered the power of coaching in two different areas. One, the contribution it makes to their network marketing businesses, Mm -hmm. increasing their own confidence and learning skills and techniques that teach them how to help people break down their barriers and break down objections and be able to create solid goals and outcomes. Like the amount of network marketers that discover coaching and utilize it for the benefit of their business is huge and the other thing of course is because it increases their own confidence they learn about the a lot about themselves they have their own breakthroughs and they go on their own journey of growth and transformation and change this when people do our courses we've heard this time and time again they come to us and say i need i originally wanted to do this in order to learn the tools and techniques and stuff so i could help other people and i've just gone on this journey of transformation and change and I've learned so much about myself because you can't not that's the thing you can't not but to answer your question Fraser right for those people listening to this that feel like you know what I resonate with that I have a lack of confidence three things right Mm -hmm. three things there is your body Mm -hmm. your internal dialogue and your imagination Mm -hmm. these are the three things that create any state in which you want to be in. They also create the states you don't want to be in. Mm -hmm. If you find yourself in a state of worry, state of panic, a state of hate, a state of jealousy, then those three things are reacting in a way that creates that state. So let's go through this step by step, right? How do we put a stop to that? And how do we change it? First and foremost, you must recognize the state that you're currently in. In order to be able to change it, you have to be able to recognize it, right? Someone's, I think it was my business partner, Lewis, said to me, you can't manage it until you can measure it. 
And it's absolutely true. And it's the same with emotional states. So let's say, for instance, I'm feeling a lack of confidence and I know what I want to do is feel confident. A lack of confidence might not be descriptive enough. Let me really think about it. Maybe what it is, is maybe actually it's a state of worry or maybe it's a state of anxiety or apprehension. That's what I'm feeling. Start to recognize what are you saying to yourself first and foremost that creates that? And Fraser, you gave a beautiful example a minute ago when you said, when you first started out, you were saying, oh, but I'm not good enough. Who will listen to me? Who will buy from me? Is it, is it, you know what I mean? You have this, this uh, damaging internal dialogue. And, and this is what a lot of people are experiencing. This is what everybody's experiencing when you're in a state you don't want to be in. So first and foremost, recognize what are you saying to yourself? Literally get it out of your head, write it down, recognize it. Because the chances are those things that you just said, they're going on in the background. It's not even a conscious thought. It's just this subconscious thought that's going round and round and round. Mm -hmm. Little tip, right? Quick tip and trick with that. If you wouldn't say it to a friend, don't say it to yourself. Yeah. If your friend came to you with an idea, you wouldn't say to them, yeah, but are you really good enough for that? Are people really going to listen to you? You know, what you have to offer, is that really worth anything? You wouldn't say that to a friend. So don't say it to yourself. That's rule number one. Your imagination. What are you actually thinking about? Because the chances are you're thinking about something that's making you feel anxious or worried or that emotional state that you don't want. And then the third thing that happens is your body reacts and follows suit. Your body will get itself into a state of worry or anxiousness. So what you've got to do is you recognize it, then make a decision. How do I want to feel? Now, I'll give you another trick with this as well. I don't want to feel anxious doesn't count. That doesn't count. Nah. Because if I say to you, Fraser, don't think about pink elephants. Don't do it. No, no, no matter what we do, right? For the love of God, don't think about pink elephants, right? It doesn't matter how much I say the word don't in front of it. As long as I'm saying the words pink elephants, that's what you're going to think about. So when I, when I ask somebody, how do you want to feel? And they say, well, I don't want to feel anxious. They're just feeling anxious, anxious, anxious. They're hearing it. So it's all about, okay, no, no, I understand that. But how do you want to feel? Okay, I do want to feel confident. So let's run with that. Okay, you want to feel confident. We need to recognize how your body posture is when you are feeling confident, what you can imagine, what images you conjure up in your head that will allow you to feel confident, and what internal dialogue you need in order to feel confident. Because the chances are, when you are feeling a state of confidence, your body posture is probably very upright, your chest is back, your chin is up. That is what your body will do just because you're feeling confident. The chances are, you've probably got very supportive internal dialogue. You're probably saying to yourself, I'm really good at this. Oh, I can't wait to get up on stage. Oh, everybody is really interested every time I talk. I really enjoy doing this. This is one of my passions, this is one of my loves. And what are you imagining? You're imagining everything going swimmingly, everything going really well. And therefore, you create a state of confidence. Never feel like you're dictated by your emotional states. You get to choose your emotional state. And the way in which you choose is you can take control of those three things. And the number one tip I'll give you, start with the body. 
because of something called biofeedback. If you're feeling very, very unconfident, let's say for instance, within the network marketing, you're about to jump on a phone call or you're about to reach out to someone or you're about to do a Facebook live and you're feeling unconfident about it. Stop and think when I am feeling confident, what is my body doing? Then simply do that. Because even though at first it will feel like you're pretending, you are pretending and that's a good thing because what will happen is you'll start to adopt the body posture of the confident you and your body will send all of these messages up to your brain, basically say, come on brain, wake up. Like, have you not got the message? We're feeling really confident. Exactly, mate. Like those power stances. That's, that stuff's no joke, mate. That's, that's yeah. like serious stuff. Like those stances send biofeedback messages from your body to your brain to say, brain, we are feeling confident now. So you better, you better follow suit and you better wake up. Yeah. You then stack on top of that internal dialogue that's very supportive and confident and internal images that are very confident. And you start to develop a recipe for confidence. You can create a recipe for whatever emotional state you want with those three ingredients. They're the ingredients that you need. Love it. I absolutely love it, mate. It's, um, I, I've, I've, over the years, I've had to you know, deal with my own demons and I love simple steps. So I've always, I've always followed trace it, face it, erase it, replace it. That's kind of what I, so I, I, I find, I, I trace where the problem is. I trace like, right, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, really de- I'm really dealing with, bit like I'm struggling with comparing myself to other people. So then I'll face it. I'll be like, listen, I'm not comparing myself to other people. I need to compete, compete, compete against myself and, and yesterday's version of me. Then I'll erase it. Be like, right, forgot about it. It's gone. If I have to write it down and burn the piece of paper, then I've done, I've done that countless times. That. Um, especially if it's a big one, I'll buy one of those, like, you know, those lantern things and I'll just write all over the lantern and then just set it off and just let it awesome. into, the, into the distance and then replace it, replace it with a good habit. habit. So I, I love that you said that, mate. So with the word co- uh, confidence, I think the word comparison is is also gonna be oh his face there we are there oh there we go there oh he's loosening up um so i think a lot of people in marketing their confidence can potentially stem from their they're kind of judging their current situation on their upline or their mentor or their coaches and they're saying but i'm never going to be like that but she's a megastar she's an influencer he's a rock star he used to he used to be a body double for someone else, like da, 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 whatever, 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 whatever. And they don't look at, yeah, because that person who has a success, they're sharing their now story. They're not short sharing their kind of like before story or their start story, their origin story. So, um, and a lot of people do that, you know, that, that they're next, they're, they're lined up in the queue about to hit their bronze promotion. And it's like, yeah, good feeling. You feel great, but you're stood there watching the microphone be passed down person to person thinking it's nearly me. It's nearly me. It's nearly me. Oh, she was better than me. She, hi, um, Sarah here from Gloucester and I'm excited. I did bronze. Woo, yeah. And they, 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 they kind of skip their time to shine. Are there any, again, steps, frameworks, tips, all the stuff you said is flipping gold, mate. Um, is there anything that you would, you would recommend or share with someone who's maybe struggling with comparisonitis, um, how they could maybe get through that, break through that to help them out? In the simplest form, and I'm going to go into it more, but you're looking in the wrong direction. 
right? Now I'll tell you what I mean by that. Comparison is a very interesting thing, a very interesting thing, because all forms of sadness come from a type of comparison. All forms of sadness. Now, you could throw at me any reason that someone could be sad. They could be sad because they didn't get that job promotion. They could be sad because they lost a loved one. They could be sad because they had an unhappy childhood. Now, 100% of the time, that sadness is being created within your own mind because what you're doing is you're making a comparison between that thing that did happen compared to something that didn't or that thing that didn't happen compared to something that did. For instance, losing a loved one, right? When we lose a loved one, we're making a constant comparison between what our life is like now that they're not here anymore compared to what it was like before when they was. The comparison is the thing that's creating that sadness. Even if we think about losing a loved one in a really devastating way and they were very sad or they were very hurt and they were really in pain, we're also making a comparison between the way in which we know they felt compared to a world in which they didn't feel that pain. If we're, if we're you know, sad because we went for a big job promotion, we didn't get it. We're comparing our life now compared to what, what it would have been like if we got the promotion. All forms of sadness come from a type of comparison. However, great, just immaculate, incredible, just exhilarating feelings of gratefulness also come from comparison. So comparison itself is not a bad thing, but it depends what direction you're pointing the comparison at, right? You take that, that example you just gave, Fraser. That person who's like looking at everybody else in their upline and looking at people that are more successful and looking at people that have got more money than them and travel more than them. Now, if you make that comparison, fucking absolutely you're going to start to feel pretty shit, right? You're going to really start to feel pretty crap about that. However, if you stop that in its tracks and you reverse the comparison and instead make comparisons between yourself and those that have less than you, that is where you start to feel grateful. I'm very grateful for what I have because actually compared to that person in that country, in that situation, I've actually got a hell of a lot. And that's one thing I like to remind myself every day, right? If I've got clean water coming out that tap behind me there and these cupboards are full of food and I am able to sleep in this home without the threat of being hurt or attacked and my family are okay, then I'm having a good day, mate. Everything else past that point is a bonus because what I'm constantly doing is I'm constantly comparing my current life compared to people in situations much much worse than mine opposed to comparing my current life to those that are have much more than me right there's two directions there's either comparing yourself to those that have more or comparing yourself to those that have less if you're gonna compare compare yourself to those that have less because at least it instills a sense of gratitude within you and it's my personal belief that gratitude is your number one route to happiness if you can sense that every day you're in a good place. Yeah, but I, I, for that example of, of, of Sarah who was sat in, sat in the line, instead of looking and going, oh, she's a better story, that's a better story. It's, I'm so grateful to be standing here because 
a few weeks ago or a few months ago, I was sat in the audience. And a few months before that, I didn't even know about this. And a few months before that, I was, you know, not in a great place. Um, having an attitude of gratitude expands your man- magnitude and lengthens your longitude, right? It's, it just, it just is, is the way forward. I've, I think ever since, I, ever since I kind of adopted that kind of philosophy of just having gratitude in my life, it, everything, everything's been great. I've attracted more, I've become more. Uh, I'm more, I'm happier, I'm healthier. Everything's just, is just grown as a result. I just wish people would get it more. It's, it's one of those things where making time for gratitude first thing in the morning is one of those things that you can't afford not to do. Like you, you don't have time not to do it. Like when people are, oh yeah, but I don't have time for it. It's like, trust me, mm-hmm. not making time for it is the biggest mistake because it's just the number one thing. Have we, mate, I would love to quickly tell you if we've got time. Yeah. The, the borough market story, right? Because yeah, this just, mate, this just falls in so perfectly. Before, what before, before we do that, mate, hold that. Cause I just want to give what we do is every every week we do a subscriber of the week so i would love to just give a a shout out to the subscriber of the week and guys in order for you to be a subscriber of the week uh all you have to do is screenshot what's on your device right now hopefully it's the image of the network marketing ninja podcast post it onto your instagram stories tag me at fraser brooks online and liam what's your instagram handle my instagram is at liam.james.collins oh easy collins with two l's right Yep. So tag at Fraser Brooks online and then tag at, and then tag at Liam.James.Collins. And you have the chance of winning uh, the subscriber of the week. You're going to get sent $50 to your PayPal. So give me a number between one and five. Four. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to answer all of your questions really fast. (laughs) I'm like, Jeez, man, like I was expecting at least three minutes of that. Um, <laughs> no, so Sue K, subscribe of the week, Sue K, Portugal, uh, hashtag my weekly treat. Love listening to at Fraser Brooks. Um, love watching this live, this podcast, but really give me the kick that I need every single week. Sometimes I get a bit lazy, then I listen to Fraser and fired up again, uh, ready to take on my day and week. Thanks, Fraser. You are a true legend, alongside legends uh, in network marketing. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Sue. It always feels weird reading about yourself and kind of giving you praise so i need to get like a voiceover or someone to be like this week's subscriber of the week is suke you you, you've got your own gif you're a legend (laughs) as soon as you've got your own gif of you standing up on stage giving it everything you've got you've you've automatically reached legend level it's just it's just fact (laughs) yeah it's uh yeah fun times i'll share with you how you can do that um but yeah suke if you drop me a message on instagram uh just to let me know that you are subscribed the week i can get that money sent over to you so yeah subscribe the week well done uh so yeah sorry buddy just wanted to uh to make sure we mentioned that so this story about for uh i i i I promise i i will keep it brief because i know uh your time is very very valuable mate of course i appreciate it but it's just it it fits in so well with what you're saying so it was 2017 right? Warm summer's evening. Me and my wife are at home. All of the bit, we've got these huge, lovely bay windows in our Borough Market apartment. We're on the first floor above this pub called the Southwark Tavern, which is like one of the most popular pubs in London, right on the corner there in the middle of Borough Market. Warm summer's evening. There's just love in the air. There's just good times in the air. People are outside. I think it was a Friday or a Saturday. People are drinking, people are laughing, people are having a great time. 
we're indoors watching a film, but then we hear a fight break out, right? So me and my wife went up to the window, lean out of these big bay windows just to see what was going on. We're just being a bit nosy. And it's like, no big deal. It's a little scuffle. Police turn up. They say, you go that way, you go that way. All is good, right? So we decided to just watch the world go by, right? We just decided to watch the world go by. It's a lovely summer's evening. We're not in a rush and we're just... London is our favorite city in the world. We're right below the shard and we're just loving life, right? Then all of a sudden, I hear what can only be described as commotion, right? Commotion. Glasses smashing, tables going over, and a few like rustles of a bit of fear, right? And, I, and instantly I think, fucking hell, this fight has kicked off again, but now it seems like it's much bigger than what it was before. And it gets louder and louder and louder until all of a sudden it screams, right? Screams. I'm talking the sound of terror. And instantly then I know this isn't a fight anymore. This is something more serious. We see people running, right? Running, hiding under cars, running down into the underground. Hundreds of people just like, almost like from a bird's eye view, like ants just going. Whoosh. Then when I look out and I look down into the market and I just see people getting stabbed, right? These three men, which I now know there was three at the time, I didn't have a clue what was going on. People being stabbed, stabbed in the chest, stabbed, stabbed in the back, stabbed in the face. Just I'm talking like horror movie standards. And I, I, should, I swear to God, mate, instantly I thought, is it a movie? Like I've, I've been on so many movie sets in my time where I've seen sort of like chaos, whether it be a war movie or like an action film. Where I'm like, is it a movie? I don't think it is because there's no camera crews anywhere. There's no vans and there's people like genuinely being killed. So then all of a sudden me and my wife are obviously in this sort of like half state of panic, half state of what the hell do we do? How can we help? Can we not help? Just pure fear as well. And these attackers were just killing people. And there's, and of course everybody was running. There was this one guy who was holding this like metal chair that he found in a restaurant bravest man on earth trying to fight off these three attackers who have got knives and they're trying to stab him and he's like trying to fend them off almost like this crazy lion tamer and all these police cars were just going zoom 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 and just going straight past the uh scene of the crime oh are you still there fraser i think yeah yeah i'm here mate you're frozen on my end but i'm still here Good man, good man. So, so it, all these police cars were like going vroom, vroom, driving past Borough Market because what had happened is these attackers had crashed a van on London Bridge and they were all going to London Bridge. They didn't know that the attackers had already made their way down into the market. So this guy walks out in front of one of the police cars, flags him down, points in the market and this one police car sort of cottoned on to what he was saying, screeched around the corner, went into the market and they, and then they were just out of our line of sight. And then we just heard a series of gunshots like, doo, 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 doo. but we didn't know who was shooting, who, who was getting killed. Like we, we didn't know what was going on. So I leant out of the, uh, out of the window. Oh, sorry, mate. I think I've frozen again. Can yeah, you... no, no, I, I'm, I'm here, bro. I'm here. Oh, you're still here. Oh, the sounds all good, but it's uh, yeah, the screen's frozen. So yeah, in that moment, when the police car went round the corner and like, and we heard these gunshots, I leant out the window and obviously more and more and more police were turning up. But we didn't know what the hell was going on. So this one police officer shouted out to us and said, get out of the apartment because we think there's a bomb in the pub. 
right? Now, the Manchester bombings at the Ariana Grande concert had happened about two weeks before and it was on everybody's minds. Now, I'm talking, it's us in the pub, paper thin floor, mm-hmm. and then, then just, just we're above the pub. So we're in this like major panic and this police officer is going, get out, get out of your apartment. Then this second one starts going, no, 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 stay there. Because there, there are people being stabbed down here. You don't want to come outside. Like you don't want to be out here. So we're like, what do we, one police officer saying, no, there's a bomb in, we think there's a bomb in the pub, get out. The other one saying, no, there's people getting stabbed, stay there. And I, sh- I swear to God, mate, it felt like I was staring down the barrel of a gun. Yeah. 30 minutes that went on. And me and my wife are literally like, where would have the least impact? Is it the bed? Is it the kitchen counter? Is it the sofa? Until eventually after about 30 minutes of just this awful agonizing, what do we do? This one police officer said, right, you have to get out now because we really think there's a bomb. You have to get out. We were, I, I opened up my front door and looked in the hallway thinking there could be one of the attackers in the hallway, like creeped through the hallway of my wife went outside into the chaos and just had to run all the way down Southwark street to Blackfriars bridge. And we ended up talking to this one BBC reporter who let us stay at his house. Cause he was like, you're not going to be able to go home for a long time. And we couldn't go home for 10 days. And when we were running down the street, there were just people like laying dead in the street. There was people like being worked on by the very few ambulances that managed to get there. It was horrible, mate. And every day since then, mindset, those three things I was telling you about, imagination, internal images, body posture, gratitude, everything that I coach people on and everything that I teach to people has played a huge part since that day in 2017. I think it was June 3rd, 2017. And mate, how easy would it be for me to have felt hate and judgment and fear on a daily basis after that. And I know that I need it. And my, my wife, Claudia, she was having really bad panic attacks and I was coaching her through it. And I knew what we needed is we needed forgiveness, gratitude, lightheartedness. We needed laughter in moments. We needed huge amounts of gratitude as well. We needed confidence. We needed to be able to see far enough into the future to plan what we were going to do the next year. And it's just one of those things that where that and losing my dad, I know coaching really works because it's just taken me through those moments. And that's what's brought you to the mission that you have right now. And your, your mission, because you, I saw it online somewhere and I was like, oh, yes. So your mission is? My mission is to make coaching as fashionable as having a personal trainer. No one has a problem saying they have a personal trainer. It's a badge of honor. It's a fashionable thing. And that's great. People should work on their bodies. It's a huge part of the process. However, I want to create this movement and this wave where people are just as proud about saying, oh, I've got a session with my coach tonight, my confidence coach, my mindset coach, my anxiety coach, my business coach. I've got a session with my coach tonight. It's a badge of honor. It's a fashionable thing because I know that if I can create a huge wave of highly qualified and accredited, skillful, experienced coaches in this world, the world will be a better place for it. So that is my mission. Well, buddy, I, I appreciate you. That was, uh, that was flipping awesome. I am a note-taking addict, so I take notes on literally everything I hear. 
Uh, for those of you who are watching on the YouTube channel, you'll, you'll probably be able to see me kind of taking notes of when I did. But um, so good, mate. So, so good. And I, I love, it's very rare to find good storytellers. Uh, those days, those days in, the, in the drama schools and, and, you know, being on set, definitely, definitely, definitely paying off, mate. And the, uh, the commission that kind of comes back from it will be higher than some of the, uh, some of the, pay, the paid, you know, A-list celebrity actors as well, because storytelling is, is, is everything in this game. So I appreciate you sharing those stories, those tips, those frameworks, those everything. Um, and I really, really appreciate your, your service to many, because Jim Rohn said it, greatness to many um is 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 you know that's basically what 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 the what life is all about what we've got to be be focusing on so i i appreciate it uh and for those for those people who listen into the podcast uh you have your own podcast as well yes we do so me and my business partner have a podcast called the prisoner and the postman so i was a postman he was a prisoner we both turned our lives around because of coaching and now we share details and mindset motivation business and the occasional episode where we go a little bit dangerous and maybe we talk about conspiracy theories and just have fun with it but guys if you're interested in mindset business motivation and you just want to hear some great stories and get some great tips the prisoner and the postman podcast is where to go the prisoner and the postman and that is that on like is that just on the apple podcast google podcast yeah mate it's on all of them spotify apple podcast uh, google My podcast Heart radio whatever it is like just the random ones it's like what <laughs> one yeah. listener a month on there like it's great uh, but yeah buddy i appreciate you yeah. and guys um, yeah for, if you want to if you want to help us raise awareness of this podcast now consistently top five entrepreneurship podcasts in the UK right now. Uh, just do it does a favor and share the Network Marketing Ninja with your Network Marketing friends and family. I'd appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you on next week's episode. Appreciate it, guys. Big love. See you soon. Bye-bye.